Okay, you guys, uh, we're getting ready to jump into God's word. We've been in a sermon series. Who can tell me what the sermon series is? Supreme. It's on what book? Colossians. Praise God. We've kind of ventured, you know, kind of away from it, but I'm bringing us back. We will be um, in the book of Colossians until January. We're only in the second chapter, and we've been in Colossians since August. So, yeah, we got some ground to cover. Uh, And I'm going to be... So we've been talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, right? It's Jesus over everything. Jesus is mightier and more powerful than any being, any force, any authority. Jesus is better and greater than that. Jesus has more power. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about the supreme judge. And um, the word judge, like, has a negative connotation. There's, it's very rare um, in today's society that we hear the word judge and casual conver- uh, conversation and it's a positive thing. Like we, there might be a friendly judge that we know in our lives. Like there's a fellow at third church named justice Mims, but nobody calls him judge Mims cause that's too harsh. He's justice Mims because judge that carries so much weight. Like somebody's going to evaluate me. The couple of times I've stood before a judge have been for, uh, it's more than once for minor traffic violations. And not like hitting anybody, just going very, very fast. Um, And, you know, it's nerve-wracking. Even for something I know he's just going to give me um, driving school, it still is nerve-wracking to stand before somebody, have them look at you, evaluate you, and exact a sentence over you. They have power to make a decision in your life and in your future, even if it's small or big. Um, so we're going to talk about Jesus, the best judge that ever, ever existed. So would you pray with me? Eternally exalted father, the kingdom is yours both now and forever. We praise you and glorify you and honor you. This time is yours. Our hearts are yours. Our bodies are yours. God, I pray that you will continue the work that you've started in us in preparing our hearts for worship, uh, for, to hear your word. God, I pray that your word will fall on good ground and that we will respond with loving obedience. God, I pray that you will give us a fresh revelation of your character and your nature. God, I pray that we would see you more closely to who you really are, and that we would not be making you in our image, but God, that we would see Jesus as the high and exalted, the lofty one um, who sits on the throne both now and forever. God, I pray that... um, Whatever words you would have for your people to hear, that it would just come freely out of me, God. I pray um, that there would be no hindrances to your word going forth, God. Um, We cast out, we call out and bind every spirit that would desire to hinder, that would desire to frustrate the work that your word has been sent to do, God. We believe that something supernatural happens at the proclamation of your word. And so, God, we are ready to hear from you. God, we are ready to hear from your spirit. God, we are ready to be set free. God, we're ready to be set free. We're ready to walk in that freedom. God, so would you come and see about us? Would you refresh us in Jesus name? Amen. Okay. Would you rise as you are able? Let's read from the book of Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 15. 
Let's read it in concert. That means everybody at the same time. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. You guys can be seated. I want to focus most closely on verses 13 through 15, when it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But I wanted to include that first segment of scripture because it just proclaims the power and the authority that only Jesus has. In Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. In Jesus is the fullness of the one who created all things, who spoke all things into into existence, who is holding everything together and is reconciling everything to himself. All of that power is in Jesus. And so Paul, throughout the course of this letter, has been establishing this case about the power and the might and the authority of Jesus Christ. So I want us to like have that assumption, pretend like, Somebody is just reading this letter aloud. Paul mailed this letter to, to East End Fellowship. We've read it aloud. We've already established that Jesus is over everything. Jesus has all power, all might, and all authority. And so uh, one of the issues that was going on in the Colossian church was that people were coming in and saying that there were extra things that people needed to do in addition to accepting Jesus as Lord. So it came in the, uh, in the form of a variety of things. Some people said you had to follow the law. Uh, which is like the Ten Commandments plus, you know, 603 other additions. You had to follow the law to get access to God. Some people were saying, actually, um, yeah, Jesus is great. The sacrifice is great. But the important thing that you have to do is, you, is to know is that you can't go directly to Jesus. You, rather, you need to, like, pray to some angels first. And then the angels will intercede, to you, intercede for you. And maybe you should worship the angels. There was just a bunch of, like, foolishness going on. And so Paul was just like, there's a lot of extra stuff. Uh, let me just break, make it clear to you. And so as I was reading this, it felt like, uh, the temperature of the world today. I feel like in 2019 America, um, many people are asking the question, why choose Jesus? 
Like, what's the point? I, Jesus is a great guy. He's a nice, you know, he was probably a prophet. He helped a lot of people. His teachings are wise. It's okay to uh, subscribe to his teachings. But is it really necessary to make a decision to have Jesus be the Lord of your life? Is it really necessary to ascribe to a particular religion? And that's something that people in the church and outside the church are asking. Uh, I think um, this is distinct to American culture, right? And I think in other places in the world, this is not the issue. They got other issues. I think this is ours. I think um, for us, we're almost living in a post-Christian society where everybody's, it's a post-Christian pluralistic society, which means there are many faiths, many religions, everybody go along to get along. Amen. Praise God. Uh, And what is key to that is that everybody's viewpoint is equally valid. Everybody has a right to have their own opinion. Everybody has their own path and who's to know who's absolutely right. Who can say what's better for another person? Who, I mean, each person is the captain of their own ship. Each woman, each man is the, the, the master or the mistress of their destiny. Everyone is their own person and should be allowed to self-determine. That's us in this country. Like, that's just how we think. It's not like that everywhere, but it's so in the water for us uh, that we don't even realize that that's how our minds are thinking about things. And it's even right there in the Declaration um, of independence, right? When the country was formed, this country was formed over so much like racist, weird stuff. Um, but I'm not talking about that today. I think, uh, there's, it starts with, we hold these truths to be, uh, self-evident, right? That's the declaration or the constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that there are certain inalienable rights, uh, given to men by the creator and those rights are life and liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So life and liberty, you can look in God's word and God say, yeah, I do want to have y'all to have life and I do want y'all to have liberty. But the third one, the pursuit of happiness is the one we've latched onto. And we've made our national, our identity, our cultural identity about I get to decide what makes me happy. And my personal happiness goes above anything else. It cannot and will not be submitted to anyone. That's just how we think. I'm, me, me too. It's not just, you know. I'm just the perfect submitted one. No, I want to be happy. And I feel like I should make whatever choices make me happy. And nobody should have boo to say about it. And at first blush, when we think about uh, what we say to ourselves, well, why do we have to choose Jesus? Why does it have to be Christianity? Why does it have to be this set of things? Like why Jesus? You might say to yourself, I can just be a good person. I don't need to have ascribe to a particular faith to be a good person. I can, um, eat my vegetables. I can work out every day. I can floss. I can love my kids better than my parents love me. I can sleep eight hours a day. I can tip waiters 25%. I can drink enough water. I can advocate for those who need advocating. I can love my spouse perfectly. I can give to charitable causes. I can vote for the right officials. The list goes on and on. And we think that, Listen, I don't need to be a Christian in order to be a good person. Being a good person and making good choices should be enough. And that feels nice. It feels nice to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm rational. I know I don't want to harm anybody else. I know nobody wants to harm me. Like, why? what's the problem? I'm not hurting anyone. Why do I need to choose this faith? Uh, there's probably a hundred of us or maybe like 60 of us in this room and there's probably 60 ways we can come up with our own set of rules for being a good person. 
our life and our experiences give us a different set of morals to live by. And we operate out of that all the time. So uh, for the ease of conversation today, I'm going to call like the, the rules that we live by, the rules that we operate out of based off of our life and experiences. It's going to be called a moral code. Can you put up that slide, baby? Moral code. It should be in there. Yeah, it's rules to live by. So what is it called, y'all? Moral code. And what's the moral code? Boom, period. So our moral code is accessible. Like it's close to us. We build it as we go along in life. When we wrong a person or a person wrongs us, we add something to the moral code. If uh, we don't have enough in our life, we add something to the moral code. If we have abundance and we see other people don't have abundance, we add something to the moral code. It's constantly changing and evolving as we change and evolve. It's a code that informs our choices. It tells us who we should live with, who we should love, who we should marry, what clothes we should wear, what schools we go to, what job we have. It informs absolutely everything. It's a code that we develop so that we can live with ourselves. And at first, it is a charming and comforting guide. It's, there's something, though, that I see in myself that uh, I can make all these internal rules about like what it means to be a good person and how to live in the world, and I don't necessarily need Jesus for that. Um, I mess up at it. All the time. I have rules set for my own behavior. I have rules set for my own interactions with people. And I'm, I miss it. And I feel like if you examined yourself and you thought about your own moral code, you miss things too. Even when we're trying our hardest to be a good person, to be a positive citizen on the earth, we fail to live up to it. One day you tell your spouse off. You snap at your kids, you mistreat a coworker, you eat too much, you drink too much, you tell a white lie, then you tell a gray lie, then you tell a crimson lie. You're stingy, you're selfish, you're bitter, you're resentful, you litter, you don't recycle, you don't drive an electric car, you go where you shouldn't go and you stay too long when you get there. We all do it. We all violate that moral code that's in us and that gentle moral code that was once a comforting guide. That moral code that we've developed all of our lives and the moral code that guides our actions and the moral code that tricks us into thinking that we don't need Jesus. It reminds us every single day of where we are not measuring up. The living, breathing thing that gently guided you into a life of being a good person now stands above you as a judge. The list that you've curated your entire life judges you now. It's taken on an unholy sort of life, an unholy sort of animation, and it looks at you and you stand before it knowing that you cannot ever measure up. And it's not just those who are in the world who don't know Jesus, who are living their lives according to moral codes. Many of us in this room are living our lives by a moral code. Those of us who have decided to follow Jesus follow our own internal compass more closely than we follow the King of Kings. We have so many things to check off of our list. It's like, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm part of this tribe. But in order to actually be a good Christian, I have to do this thing. In order to actually have access to God, I need to make sure I'm hitting all these things on the list. Then I'll be the right kind of Christian. I'll be the right kind of person. And that will make us closer to God. That makes us holier. And this was one of the issues facing the Colossian church. The false teacher had risen among them and told them that Jesus alone was not enough for them to have access to God. 
but they should worship angels, follow astrology. And that's what really would make them known of God. So this moral code that we've developed, it's taken on an unholy sort of life. It used to be comforting. It used to be nice. It used to be like Mr. Rogers neighborhood um, with the little sweaters. Have y'all seen that movie? Uh, it used to be like that, but it's like this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of transformation. What we've created to protect ourselves, to curate a perfect life becomes an unholy judge and what used to guide you now accuses you your moral code what you said is right and good stands against you and testifies against you and guess what it won't be wrong this moral code this rules to live by they it know it's like it knows where you've fallen short even in your heart of hearts even when other people don't know you're falling short it stands before you and just like yeah i saw you blow through that speed uh through that red light i saw you tell that lie i saw you ignore that person that was asking for money i saw you step out on your spouse i saw you did it It will accuse you every time you fall short, every time you mess up intentionally or unintentionally. It whispers to you, sometimes it's yelling to you, you are not good enough. You will never be good enough. You will never be enough. And not only does the moral code accuse, the moral code enslaves Can you imagine the pressure of constantly being held, like just being in a court? You have to imagine this is like, use your imagination. This is like a cosmic court that we're kind of like all in. And the moral code is like sitting on this throne of authority. And uh, it's, it's judging us. It's accusing us. And there's people in the audience that are watching it happen, like cosmic spirits and powers that are like, yeah, I knew she won't bow nothing. Yeah, I knew she won't a real Christian. Yeah, get jeering. And so you're standing before this moral code that is acting as an unholy judge and unrighteous authority. And uh, we, we feel the weight of the pressure of not measuring up. So what we do is we pile on more actions We do more things. We do better things. We add to that moral code, increasing its power and giving it life and authority that it should not have. We're imprisoned by its rules and imprisoned by its regulations, knowing that the more we work, the more we strive, we're digging a deeper and deeper hole that we can never, ever get out of. We are shackled. It's like there's a a shackle on our wrists and then a shackle uh, on our feet. And it's like the chains descend and wrap around us until it's just like we can't even hardly breathe for being bound by the expectations we've set for ourselves and by our lack of being able to live up to them. So not only does the moral code accuse, not only does it enslave, but the moral code condemns you to death. In, uh, in, in the text, it says that uh, there was a chart in verse chapter 14 of Colossians 2. It says that there's a charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. So accused and enslaved, and the accusations are not always false. Accused and enslaved, we come to terms with the knowledge that there is no hope for us. We cannot become righteous. We cannot uh, become holy no matter how we work and no matter how we strive. We slip into despair. 
There's this term, as when Paul was writing this, he used uh, this passage, he uses imagery like circumcision and then being dead and then being alive and then being a prisoner and then being set free and then being in court uses so much uh, imagery. And I was just like, how am I supposed to put all of that into one um, metaphor? But one thing I was thinking of is y'all heard the phrase dead man walking. So a dead man walking is a person who, or dead woman walking, but the phrase is dead man walking, uh, a person who has been accused, convicted, and condemned to death, condemned to die. They're on their way to certain and total death. There is no life in them. And so that's us. After standing before the accuser, like after standing uh, and being enslaved and in bondage, we are dead men walking We are condemned prisoners, enslaved by a demonic judge. And that judge now points us to an expected end, and that end is death. And it would not be wrong because the wages of sin is death. That's in God's word. That's just as a spiritual law. When you sin, death is the result that you get. And so the moral code stands before us accusing us, enslaving us, condemning us to death. Is there any hope at all? But enter the righteous judge. Enter the judge supreme, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So where the moral code accuses us, Jesus defends us. Scripture says again and again that Jesus lives to intercede for us. He is always interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Romans chapter 8 says, who then is he who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So whereas this moral code accuses us, Jesus defends us. He knows that we are without hope. He knows that we are without a lawyer. We're we're standing there without representation. Our heads are bowed. Our bodies are shackled. And Jesus comes in and pleads our cause, even though we're guilty. Even though we failed, even though we were sinful, still Jesus intercedes for us. And where the moral code enslaves, Jesus Christ liberates Jesus sets us free. This judge sets us free. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says of himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So as before, we were in a pit that we were digging and digging deeper, but all the while becoming more and more enslaved, becoming more and more in chains. Jesus lovingly reaches down and unshackles, turns the lock of every shackle, sets us free, removes the chains from us. That's what Jesus does. Jesus liberates. And where the moral code condemned us to death, Jesus raises us to life. In verse 12, Uh, It says of of Colossians 2, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. We have been raised to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But there's one thing that I want us to notice and not miss. 
there was no action on our part. We were not crying out for a savior. We had accepted death. We didn't even know we were dead because it's the state that we were in. But Jesus in his loving kindness saw us, took pity on us, had mercy on us, and came, left the throne of glory, left the riches, as Brooke was talking about earlier, left the riches of heaven, came down and was born as a baby. And he uh, was born for us. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised to life for us. And he is coming back again for us. And we had nothing to do with it. It is purely God's grace and mercy that we have the freedom that we enjoy today. And there's so many of us that are walking around in here like dead men, like dead women, believing that we are not, uh, uh, that we have not received the freedom and the liberty that Jesus gives us. We've entangled ourselves again with the chains that Jesus loosed us from. We've heard the lies of the crowd. Remember that crowd, the, the, the spiritual powers and authorities that are watching us be condemned to death and they're jeering us on. Yes. Uh, those where those people were shouting accusations at us that did not stop. Those, those spiritual beings right now will lie to us and tell us that we are not free. The, those spiritual beings will lie to us and tell us that we are still bound. Those spiritual beings will lie to us and tell us the work that Jesus did wasn't actually enough. Or those beings will tell us, you don't even need that. You were fine without Jesus. But Jesus in his loving kindness, in his grace, in his mercy came and got us and rescued us. It's my prayer for myself, for everybody in this room tonight, that we would not be walking around as dead men and dead women. That the spirit would awaken our senses, open our awareness to the fullness of the freedom that exists in him. And I don't want you to get it twisted. This is not about trying harder. This is not about being a better Christian. Christian, No, all of this is about what Jesus has done for you. Period. That's it. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. Before you even knew to ask for it. It's like a parent who feeds their, who, listen, that baby is on a sleep schedule. Put the baby down, knocked out, conked, go to sleep. The baby needs to eat. The baby not even crying yet. Mama, go ahead, give him a bottle. It's like that. Jesus has anticipated our needs and met them. And that's just such an amazing grace. It's such a loving kindness to God, a loving kindness to us that God would extend salvation and freedom to us. I'm going to call the worship band back up. Salvation comes from Jesus alone. Salvation comes from Jesus alone because it belongs to him. Salvation belongs to God. God is the possessor of any saving power, period. And so salvation can only come from him. Only the possessor of a thing can give it out. And do not listen to the lies that try to tell you that salvation can come from elsewhere. It's a fallacy. Only Jesus saves. Salvation belongs to him who sits on the throne. So it's about time we get ourselves and our moral code off of the throne. We remove our rules for living. We remove our Jesus plus off the throne of Jesus Christ. And Jesus should sit in his rightful place. And y'all, let me tell you, if Jesus is your judge, it's so merciful. 
There's mercy and there's life there. Nothing can bring salvation except Jesus Christ and him alone. Because guess what? God already knew we would mess up. God already knew we would uh, make plans to do the right thing. And then immediately after make the exact opposite plans to do the horrible, wrongest, worst thing, period. And do it with joy and gladness in our hearts. Jesus knew we would do that. And so he made provision in his own body. He made provision so that uh, when he was sacrificed, when he was nailed to the cross, it was a single act once and for all that wiped away every single sin for each one of us, both our present and our future sins. So we don't have to stand under the weight of not measuring up because Jesus says we measure up. His blood is testifying again and again that we measure up. His blood testifies that we are righteous. His blood testifies that we are holy. His blood testifies that we are free. And y'all, if you choose Jesus today, you will be covered with his blood. You will be set free. And that blood will announce to the world and beyond that Jesus Christ is king. And that he's not just a king that wants to be a tyrant. He is a merciful and kind king. He is a good and kind God that frees us when we didn't know we were bound. That makes provision because he knew we would muck it all up. Jesus makes provision for us. It is so kind of God to love us like this. It is so kind. Only Jesus can do it. Because only Jesus was the perfect one. Only Jesus was blameless. Only Jesus was without sin. And only Jesus holds the authority of heaven and hell and the earth in his hand. So only the sacrifice of Jesus could work to free us. But he offers that to us so freely, freely. He says, if you want it, just come. If you're thirsty, just drink. It doesn't cost anything. Just come and drink deeply from the well that will never, ever, ever run dry. There is so much abundance in the life of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And if you're here and you're feeling like I just don't measure up, I can't get power over this one particular thing. I just can't get right for doing wrong. Jesus has already made provision for that. And he welcomes you. He invites you into him. He says, I know you're terrible, but that don't matter. I love you. I love you and I call you mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I love you. So uh, by way of response, we're going to do communion in a second. But you guys have like little pieces of paper with a pan at your seat. Um, the paper says not good enough. But really it could say anything. i literally thought about this, give myself an anxiety headache trying to figure out what to put on this paper. It could say anything. Um, but the scripture says, let me go back and look at it. The scripture says in verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, he stood against, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So the accusations that say you are not good enough, your actions don't Uh, make you worthy enough to be holy and righteous. That's what this paper represents. The charge of legal indebtedness that stands against us and condemns us to, to death. He's taken it away by the power of his love. He's removed it. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a couple of moments. 
you can, uh, if you're willing, if there's something in your heart that you just are like, I keep messing up with this again and again and again, and I want to be free. I want to be free from this thing, but I keep messing it up. If you want to just jot it down on that paper, on whatever side, it really just doesn't matter. Offer that up to the Lord. Jesus already, first of all, Jesus already knows that it's there. He already knows what you're dealing with. He knows your weakness. He's been bearing with you in your weakness your entire life. He already knows. So what I want you to do is uh, when we come up for communion, I would love for you, um, if you want to write your own thing or if you just want to have not good enough be good enough for you, I want you to come up to one of these tables, either before you take communion or after you take communion, and there's a paintbrush. And I, I want you to take the paintbrush and blot it out. There's a, a translation of the Bible. This is not, not the NIV, but it says that he's blotted away our transgressions. And so I had a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ wiping away anything that would stand to accuse us. Anything that would try to separate us from the love of God. Any power that would try to separate from the abundance and the life of liberty that God has for us. So if, whenever you're ready, after we uh, bless our communion, after we bless the host, uh, just go up there, blot it out. You can fold it if you want to and stick it in the chicken wire. Just so you know, that thing you're struggling with, Jesus already died for it. He already blotted it out. It's already been blotted out. And we may not see the fullness of God's kingdom victory in that place in, on this earth, We might have to wait until the kingdom comes in its fullness, but please believe it's been settled in heaven. You belong to God. God knows you. God likes you. God loves you. He approves of you. He sees you if you just would trust him. Just like we said earlier, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Because horses and chariots will fail you every single time. going to pray over the body and the blood. First Corinthians 11 says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when we proclaim the Lord's death, we proclaim the victory that his shed blood has brought to us. This table is a proclamation of the wisdom and the majesty and the might of God that's been made available to us. So communion service, if y'all could come on up.
So yeah, take your time. Be present with God. Be present with each other. Hear the words of the music. The song says, is he worthy? Is he worthy of glory? And he truly is. Would you partake in the victory that is proclaimed at this table? Father God, we just thank you. Thank you so much for your word today. The power of your word. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for every one of us here that we would allow you to reveal to us the fullness of that word that was given today. We're grateful for Aaron. But Lord, we just thank you today. We cry out for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are. Lord. We want to know you better. Thank you for that word today. Jesus, you're exalted. We throw out our moral code. We surrender to you. You've blotted out everything that would keep us from you. We surrender to you now. Lord, as I like to say, we don't just sing songs, God. Let that be our life this week. That truly you will be glorified. That you will be glorified. Be thou glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Just do a little bit then. Just be glorified just a little bit.
just just meditate on that for a little while. We're gonna let you go. All right. Hallelujah! 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 Be Do a little bit of that heaven, earth, and the temple thing. Be glorified in the heavens. Be glorified in the earth. Now point to yourself. Point to yourself and sing that next part. Be glorified in, in this temple. temple. All right, all right, all right. You clap your hands for the worship band. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Lord, again. <laughs> uh, Lord. Let's, I just, the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. Would you clap your hands for Pastor Aaron? My God. Hey, hey, let's see how she gone. I don't blame her. She gone to heaven. Oh, no, there she go back there. Praise God. Sister gone. She did an Enoch. Gone. Love y'all. Help us fold these chairs. We love you so much. God bless you. Say these ink pens, please. We got a tight budget. <laughs> leave the chairs. Leave the chairs. Oh, no. Leave the chairs because something else is happening. We good? All right. So we good. We need the ink pens, though. Say the ink. Get the ink pens to um, Lawson. She's our budget watcher. Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified. Be won't you be glorified yeah be glorified in the heavens be glorified in the earth be glorified in this temple be glorified yeah be glorified yeah won't you be glorified oh god be Be glorified, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. Be, 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 be thou glorified. We got Chipper on the guitar, Bishop on the key part, Marcellus on the drums, and your loving Pastor Don on the vocals. God bless you. Merry, merry, whatever it needs to be. 